And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, I think we can get started. Uh, my name is Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us again on the second episode of the Shamrock Live, sort of our, our rebooted audio chat here on The Athletic. Um, if you were here last week, you sort of know the drill. You can hop in the queue, ask your question, or post something in the chat to ask your question. But we're trying to, if you hop in the queue, get a little bit more interactivity. Um, you know, it's good to get a little personality from the audio point of view. So if you've got a, if you've got a question, you can hop in the queue and ask it. Um, and then we'll get started as soon as we get our first question and go for the next hour previewing Notre Dame, Tennessee State, and frankly, whatever you guys want to talk about uh, with Notre Dame football. All right, first question from the chat from Nick A. And he wants to know, do we get an indicator of the ceiling this week or do we have two more to go? And I think that we probably just have one more to go after this week. Um, the I think the first time that, at least for me, the first time I'm going to feel like I have a read on like, all right, Ohio State, USC, Clemson, does Notre Dame sort of have the material that it, it looks like it has, is going to be how they play at NC State in a couple weeks. Um, it's a noon start in Raleigh. If you watched any of NC State last night, you saw they looked okay against Connecticut. Um, not great. Uh, they, they gave up a 77-yard touchdown run, not much else defensively. Not a not a super clean game, but uh, I mean they got bailed out by a, a PI in the end zone that I want to say was on third down. They would have had to kick a field goal, ended up scoring a touchdown after that. So it, it's not like Brennan Armstrong, their new quarterback who moved over from Virginia, and their new offensive coordinator Robert and I, who moved over from Syracuse previously, was with Armstrong at Virginia. Did not light the world on fire last night, but certainly they've got more material on both lines that. They can at least stand up to Notre Dame um, and make them work for it in a way that Navy surprisingly couldn't. I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow against Tennessee State. I think sort of what we learn about Notre Dame tomorrow is going to be much more of like, okay, they have some guys in reserve that, you know, whether it be, you know, maybe more Rico Flores or some Steve Angeli or, you know, do they go to Adon Schuler at safety, Brennan Vernon, uh, Bukakar Traore. I think those that's going to be more of the lesson from Saturday against Tennessee State, uh, more so than, hey, can Notre Dame go 10-2 or 11-1? Is 12-0 is a possibility? Um, I think the NC State game is really going to be the moment where you're like, all right, if Notre Dame comes out in NC State and they play well, um, you know, and, and we've seen that, you know, for, I'm thinking like previous early season tests where maybe the schedule wasn't that difficult at the beginning and then Notre Dame you know, shows up and they, they play well in a spot where you're like, oh, okay. Um, that sort of amps up the, the possibilities for Notre Dame. Thinking about the the Michigan State game, um, shoot, what was it? Was that 2017? 
where you had Notre Dame went up there, they won 38-18. Um, you're thinking, all right, th- that sort of set the identity for what Notre Dame is, and that was following crushing Temple, losing at home to Georgia, and then winning at Boston College. So, you know, I, I think the NC State game could sort of be like that, where you figure out, okay, Notre Dame is legit, they're real, um, you know, and they got a chance to, to go 10-2, and if not better. Um, nobody in the queue yet, but uh, next question in the chat. Who wants to know which of Notre Dame's opponents are you most interested to sort of see in week one? I'm interested in Ohio State and Indiana for obvious reasons. But um, Clemson on Monday night, you know, you get two opponents in one. You know, what does Garrett Riley's offense look like in game one, year one? Again, with Kate Klubnick at quarterback, you know, is Duke crafty enough to – you know, play above its weight or punch above its weight, sort of like it did last season. So I think that's probably the game that I, I'm most interested in, um, you know, in terms of week one opponents, just because you get a couple of them. And, you know, it's power five versus power five. There aren't a lot of opportunities to sort of see Notre Dame opponents versus other power five teams. Like I mentioned, Ohio State, Indiana is one. So those were the two, but I, I think particularly Duke, and Clemson on Monday night is the one I'm I'm really interested in. And Michael M wants to know: Should I read the mailbag before listening, or listen now and read after? Hey, these questions I think I'll try to steer away from questions I've already answered in the mailbag. Um, so hopefully those are two different experiences on the athletic for you. If you're here, you can ask a question directly. Just hop in the queue, post it in the uh, or post it in the chat, and so we can have sort of a, a different conversation here than what the mailbag is, which I'm. I sort of pick and choose from a hundred questions for that one. This is, I think a little bit more, uh, more intimate, shall we say? Um, all right. Next question. Anonymous, uh, for all the good things Hartman did against Navy, he stared down receivers and telegraphed a few throws. What did you see? I did not see him staring down throws in this, in the way that maybe that term gets thrown around and did for, uh, you know, Buckner or Cone or, or certainly Drew Pine. As much as like he's looking at a receiver, and if he's open, he throws it to him. But if he's not, he goes on to the next receiver. I, I do think that was one thing that you felt differently about Sam Hartman watching him in training camp, and definitely last weekend. It's like he can actually he can go through progressions. You know, he can play quarterback at more of a graduate level. Where I think Notre Dame's quarterbacks last year were were much more sort of stuck in rudimentary one hundred and one type of concepts. So I didn't feel like he stared down receivers or telegraphed. A, a few throws, um, you know, certainly the the one to Tyree, which was his final incompletion of the four. Yeah, that was probably one that he would like to have back. The long shot to Tobias Merriweather where the end zone was underthrown. Also threw, thought he threw under duress maybe more than he was given credit for. Um, I don't think that had a lot to do with the offensive line as much as, you know, blitz pickup. You know, Jeremiah Love missed one um, where Hartman got kind of hit on. So, I mean, overall, I thought that, if you're going to pick stuff apart from Hartman and I actually did ask Marcus Freeman about this um, during the week about, you know, it's like you have this game where people are, are, I think tongue in cheek saying, you know, Heisman, you know, how high can this go? You know, we had a story on the athletic about how it impacts his draft stock, but yeah, there, there were definitely some things to pick apart. Um, you know, Marcus Freeman talked about ball security when he's scrambling around behind the line of scrimmage. That can be better. Yeah, but really, aside from that throw to Tyree that the defender got his hands almost on and then Tyree couldn't hold it in, that was sort of the one throw that I, I think you'd probably want to want to have back the most. 
Um, again, if you've got a question, you hop in the queue. Um, I'll call you the stage. You can ask the question, uh, and then we go from there. But next question in the chat, uh, what's Tennessee State's best matchup against Notre Dame position group-wise, as in where could they exploit an Irish weakness? It's, I mean, it's an interesting question because I'm, I'm not sure there, there is one per se, um, but their quarterback, Draylon Ellis, He's undersized, not so much that, you know, 6'1 is undersized, but 175 pounds, you know, not super accurate. It's taken a lot of sacks. You know, can he be mobile? Can he sort of stretch Notre Dame horizontally? Um, that opens up some things. But this is kind of one of those matchups where I just have a very, very difficult time picking out, okay, here's a place where Tennessee State could actually take advantage of Notre Dame. And they're not going to get pressure on Sam Hartman not in a uh, traditional sense, like off the edge, but, you know, what their quarterback, Ellis, um, Deshaun Davis is a slot receiver. You know, how, how does Notre Dame match up with him? Corrected Brenson. Notre Dame just didn't have to defend the pass at all last week, um, not in a traditional sense. So I'm not saying that Tennessee State's passing game is going to have an advantage over Notre Dame's secondary. It's just they're going to get stretched in a, in a different way than they were last week. So I, I don't think that's an advantage for Tennessee State in any way. It's just something I'm curious to see because there, there's not a single matchup or a single player on the roster that Tennessee State would have an advantage on. And so it's, um, it's a spot where if Notre Dame really wanted to pick their score tomorrow, um, they could. I don't think they will, but they could. John S. wants to know, is Tobias Merriweather's lack of development a work ethic issue or a lack of grasping his role at the college level? It's a fair question. Um, I think it's a little, and I did, this is one question I did sort of tackle in the mailbag a little bit, but he's played 139 snaps in his career, played 35 last week, has one catch, one drop last week, one where you can debate whether he should have come back to the ball more forcefully than he did or not, regardless, didn't make the catch. I think it's much too early to sort of raise alarms on Tobias Merriweather. Um, did I think he would be farther along than he is? Yes. But I think Chancey Stuckey and Jared Parker and Marcus Freeman and most importantly, Tobias Merriweather all sort of know they've got a ways to go here. Um, I'm not saying that that's great or that's a positive because – you would want him to be a little bit more out of out of the box ready this season, especially going into NC State and definitely against Ohio State where you have sort of a, somebody who can stretch the field a little bit. So you force feed him for a while. you know. But at some point, I think if Jane Greyhouse has eight snaps and two touchdowns again this week, you got to be able to figure out a way to get him more reps. So I think Tobias Merriweather, if we're having this conversation, if we're doing the Shamrock Live on October 1st, we're talking about his lack of development, then I think we've got a real issue. I don't know about like grasping his role if that's an issue. Did I mean did he he didn't play in an offense in high school even remotely close to what Jane Greyhouse played in at Westlake outside Austin. So I think that you know much more of a raw project for Notre Dame than what you know Greyhouse was. So that that may be part of it. He had his season short circuited last year by concussion at the end. But I mean I remember talking to uh, somebody on staff here. Going into the Clemson game, they planned to start him, and then he got a concussion in practice, and that sort of sidetracked the rest of the season. So it um, that made for a difficult situation. But am I raising an eyebrow about Tobias Merriweather at the point? Sure, but I I think outright concern or uh, you know raising alarm bells. I think we're that's getting a little harder ahead of ourselves. 
Nick A wants to know if having a functioning quarterback helps us avoid losing games that talent says we shouldn't, which game do you see as a trap game that will show us that that's true? Nick, I'm going to take that question as you're sort of asking what's the game that could be a trap that Notre Dame will run away with. If that's not how you interpret it, let me know. But I think Duke and Pittsburgh are the two that I feel like if Notre Dame played a C-minus game that they could be in trouble and maybe lose. You know, Louisville maybe, but um, those two, two-and-a-half games, like NC State I think is just a, a, a good team that's kind of a well-run program. That's sort of it. And I, I realize it stinks of hubris because Notre Dame lost to Marshall and Stanford last year, and I, I don't think that after Tennessee State this weekend they'll play anybody quite as bad as those two teams other than Stanford again, obviously. So I do think that Hartman's ability raises the floor of the season because Notre Dame is not going to get in a position like they were in with Marshall where their quarterback just panics and can't get them out of anything. Or I feel like the same thing was true at Stanford in some regards where the quarterback panics and the entire offense just shuts down. Hartman is sort of too good and has been around too, too long for that, to, for that really to be a thing. Our next question, I'm going to go to Andrew G. And he says, is it inevitable that Jaden Greathouse will be starting by the end of the year? Also, how is Sam Hartman's relationship with Jared Parker? Will he be starting by the end of the year? That's kind of one of those, like, don't read too much into week one type of situations. I, you know, could I see it? Sure. Um, I think it's probably more likely that he's starting. Maybe he gets a couple starts this year and then is definitely a starter at the beginning of next season. You know, from the high school development at Westlake and Austin to just sort of his overall maturity, he's got a lot of Ben Morrison in him. You know, that maturity, I think, is sort of what it takes to make you the exception at Notre Dame, meaning like a, a kid who comes in and plays right away as a freshman. As for as Hartman's relationship with Parker, I think that it took a little bit of settling in in the spring. And this was a, a question, not I didn't ask about relationships exactly, but I asked Parker about, before Navy, about basically, hey, how much do you involve Hartman in the game plan? And he said, like, a ton. And one of the things he really liked about Hartman is that he will tell Parker, like, no, I don't like this play. Here's why. Let's cut it. And Parker said, you sort of need that back and forth to have a really good coordinator and um, quarterback relationship. That That's sort of how you get to be sort of the coach on the field vibes that Hartman has. You got to be able to sort of state your case about why you like something and, and why you don't. All right. I'm going to call Ryan B to the stage to ask the first question audio question here of the Shamrock Live. Ryan B., you are on stage. If you're with us, uh, go ahead and ask your question. Yeah, I was just wondering if you caught any of the NC State game yesterday. Yeah, I did catch a little bit of the NC State game yesterday. I saw them give up the 77-yard touchdown run, I think, in the second half. I watched a little bit of um, the third quarter as well when they went in to score, got a P.I. And then, so I, I think I just saw an offense that still has got a lot to work out with Brendan Armstrong and Robert and I, their offensive coordinator. I think it's probably pretty natural. But I also think, hey, if you're Notre Dame, this is this is a good time to catch NC State. They didn't overwhelm UConn, I think, on the lines, although I, I do think NC State has some good defensive linemen. Um, and that you take out that 77-yard run, which, like again, you can't just take out a 77-yard TD run. But UConn didn't move the ball all that well um, otherwise. But the big thing there is, like, if Brendan Armstrong had come out and finished 32 of 39 for 
370 yards and four touchdowns, I, I would have felt a lot different about Notre Dame going to NC State. And those are the kind of stat lines, believe it or not, that he, he put up at Virginia. Not last year, obviously, but the year before when he, I think he had almost 4,000 yards passing. It was like a crazy amount of production. So I thought NC State was a program still kind of figuring it out early season. That's natural. makes sense. But should be to Notre Dame's benefit going down to Raleigh a week from now, which, again, is sort of like, I think that's where you start tracking the season in a different way if you're a Notre Dame fan because then it's it's less about, like, how you look um, and more about just sort of getting the job done. But if, if Notre Dame gets the job done and looks good doing it at NC State, I do think that will probably turn a few heads nationally in a way that blowing out Navy or blowing out Tennessee uh, may not. Eric F. wants to know, will Angeli take any first-half snaps? I would not bet on that. I think if Angeli gets in the third quarter, that's that's a win for Angeli. Obviously, it's a win for Notre Dame. I'd like to see him just operate the offense a little bit in a way that he didn't last week. I think the coaches thought they were going to get to him earlier in the fourth quarter, but Navy had, I think, an eight-plus-minute drive that kind of killed off that opportunity by the time Angeli got in. It was sort of down to the, the very end. So I I would like to see Angeli in, in the middle of the third quarter. I'd like to see him finish with six to ten passing attempts, like at least get a chance to run the offense. You know, a scoring drive for Steve Angeli, I think would be a positive uh, tomorrow. And it's that seems completely within the realm of possibility. If not highly likely, who knows? Maybe we'll see Kenny Minchie kneeling down uh, to end the game at the very end. From the queue at Andrew G. Andrew G., I'm going to call you to the stage to go ahead and ask your question. You are uh, you're up. Andrew G., go ahead. Hey, thanks. Hey, I was wondering, uh, so I guess uh, Urban Meyer has his own podcast, and I was wondering, did you comment about the Notre Dame QB situation? It's like I, I tended to sort of agree a little bit with him, but he comes off so negatively, so it's uh, it's hard to <laughs> to like him. But, yeah, I just wanted to see uh, – you know, if you heard his thoughts and, and what you thought about it. Yeah, I did. I did hear uh, his thoughts. And basically, like, you know, how, I can't believe that um, that Notre Dame had to go to Wake Forest to get a quarterback. And I agree with him, actually. It's not ideal. I think it reminds me of the I think it's a meme in the onion. That's the worst person, you know, just made a great point. I think that's sort of where Urban Meyer is with Notre Dame and quarterback recruiting. It's like. You don't want to have to go to Wake Forest. And it's like taking transfers is fine, but ideally, you know, to get a six-year senior from Wake Forest to say, you know what, I'm not ready for the NFL. I didn't like my draft grade, so I'm going to go to Notre Dame instead. Like, that's probably not ideal, nor is I think it all that repeatable because I think one of the things that has gotten lost in Notre Dame's roster building a little bit is just, like, these COVID years are going away. There's not going to be a Sam Hartman story next year uh, in terms of a six-year senior being available in 2024 because there's just like there's not these there's not, the COVID exemptions are sort of running their course and like Notre Dame has benefited from that because more people have had more eligibility and you're able to get some of these two-year guys like um, you know Antonio Carter could be a two-year guy that's a positive for Notre Dame but like those kind of exceptions are going away I, you know as for like Urban's point about you know, Notre Dame going out and getting a five-star quarterback. I mean, it's not like they haven't tried. You know, C.J. Carr is close. And I think, like, you know, Meyer's point about, like, it's not like Notre Dame has signed a bunch of three-star quarterbacks over the years, like whether it be Kaiser or Zaire, uh, Wimbush, Dracovic, Keel. You know, these are not sort of also-ran quarterbacks. Kenny Minchie was a, a solid four-star quarterback. So I, I think Notre Dame has done okay. 
okay with quarterback recruiting. I, I would concede Myers' point that they could and should do better. But I think really what they need to do more than anything is like hit on these quarterbacks. That The development of Tyler Buckner was not good. Phil Dracovic, not good. Like that's, you got to do a better job identifying. I think Notre Dame can sell when it comes to quarterback recruiting. I think the talent identification has been off, um, whether it's Tommy Reese or Mike Sanford before him. You know, it's like the Ian Book story. Mike Sanford didn't really want to talk about this, but like, that Ian Book was not like their first, second, or third guy. Um, he was pretty far down the list. So Notre Dame, I think, needs to do a better job of identification and development. I think the ability to go to a high school quarterback that they choose and say, please come to Notre Dame, they do a good job with that. But they need to do a better job of making sure they're, they're picking out the right guys. Like Notre Dame's quarterback recruiting, I think going back to early BK days, has been, been really all over the board. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, next up we got Dave. And he wants to know, what are Andrew Christophic and Michael Carmody's status on the offensive line? Do you see either of them earning a starting role as this season goes on, barring an injury to another offensive lineman? I do not see them starting this year. Um, Carmody had a hand free in camp uh, and missed a lot of time. He's had really awful injury luck, um, you know, similar to his brother with basketball, Robbie Carmody, who was at Notre Dame. Andrew Christophic is more of a mystery to me. I, I thought that when training camp opened and he was running with the ones, I thought that he would probably stay there. You know, maybe they would rotate a little bit, but there used to be sort of four guards in contention. And now there are only three, obviously Rocco Spindler and Pat Coogan are starting, but then you've got, after that you go to Billy Shrouth. So it's, I feel like if a guard suffered an injury that Billy Shrouth would be sort of the, the next band in, not Andrew Kristoffic, which is, bit of a surprise to me based on where things were in camp, but, um, you know, Joe Rudolph has sort of picked out his guys. I think starting Carmody, or not starting Carmody, starting Coogan is sort of goes down as a pretty big surprise unto itself. But after that, if Spindler or Coogan can't go, Shrout to be the uh, next man up. Robert C. wants to know, not terribly surprised by Joe Montana's comments about Brian Kelly, who seemed to burn bridges left and right. Do you see Freeman rekindling 
relationships with notable alumni like Montana as a recruiting play, in addition to being an authentic relationship builder. For those who haven't heard, I sat down with Joe Montana on Friday morning last week at the Guinness Storehouse as sort of part of a promotional event he was doing. According to the interview, we ran it on The Independent, which is the podcast that I'm doing with Matt Fortuna now. And Montana was like, I asked him about sort of his, the ebb and flow of his relationship with Notre Dame, because that has sort of changed over time. He said that he kind of like, yeah, like, I don't really want to get into it, but like the last guy, you know, didn't treat everyone the same. And when you do that, you have problems. So that, you know, clearly that was Brian Kelly. I asked him, how well do you know Marcus Freeman? He knows him a little bit. Uh, Marcus had reached out in the past. They haven't talked recently. I do think it's, bizarre and something to be corrected that Joe Montana couldn't remember the last Notre Dame game he had been to when I asked him like he should get that reception in Notre Dame Stadium that he got in Aviva Stadium because like look you bring in Joe Montana that's like one of the all-time great football players at any level ever and for Notre Dame to not sort of like have that relationship die in the vine a little bit is a shame so you know Freeman has done a great job you know wrote about the blue gold game from a year ago about how the alumni came back. I've talked to football alumni about how Freeman has sort of really embraced what, um, you know, the history of Notre Dame wanting to be a part of it because he knows, you know, he didn't play here and he's not responsible for the history and stature, prestige of this place, but he wants to honor those who, who are. That's, I think, real significant. I don't know if it's a recruiting ploy. You know, as much as you and I might look at Joe Montana as like, holy crap, it's Joe Montana. Uh, and that's how I felt when I sat down with him last week. I don't know if a high school kid feels that way. You know, for high school kids, it's quarterbacks, at least, you know, it's Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if Joe Montana moves the needle, which is, that's just sort of how it is um, as generations pass, but um, pass by and new ones sort of fill in in the NFL level. So, but I would like to get to a point where, you know, Joe Montana is back at Norham Stadium. He's honored. At a commercial break, stadium goes nuts. He's up on the video board. Like, that needs to happen. That should happen. I think Freeman will sort of help make it happen. Brian J.S., what is Sam Hartman's best trait that he can pass down to Steve Angeli and Kenny Minji for next year? And Sean, you asked, looking at next year, Angeli will be the favorite. Do you think Carr could take it and run from the start? I watched Carr's first high school game, and it looked like he might need a year to adjust. I agree with Sean Yu about... CJ Carr, I don't expect him to come in and be like the next Trevor Lawrence where you're pushing to start from the day you show up. I think he's going to need college development in college before he plays. Um, so I guess it's a long way of saying I don't expect him to start against Texas A&M uh, to kick off the 2024 season. I think with Hartman and what he can pass down to Angeli and Minchie, that's a good question. I, I may have to ask Hartman about that. My hunch is that Film study and like the volume of hours it takes to be good to play quarterback is something that Minchie and Angeli are going to need to learn. Um, I think it's something that, you know, Jack Cohn tried to make apparent to Buckner and Pine and something that Ian Book tried to let other quarterbacks know. But like there's been such a like sort of a stop in culture in the room from year to year. It's sort of what these one of the downsides of these transfers is like you sort of just don't get to pass down the positional culture that like the offensive line, for example, passes down where everyone just knows after practice, you stay to get in more reps. Quarterback has been a little bit more like stop and start that way. So I think for Hartman, it's like, 
how do I teach Angeli and Minchi not only how to watch film efficiently, but just like the volume of stuff you need to pick up. That I think would probably be the biggest takeaway there. Right? At least I would hope. Benton M with our next question in the queue, and then I'll go to Eric F after that. But uh, Benton M, you're on the stage. Go ahead and ask your question. I think we're all probably assuming we're going to see Angeli for a fair amount of snaps in the second half, mm-hmm. <laughs> barring a disaster. <laughs> if we see Angeli in the first half, that, that could be a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at you, Marshall. Let's not um, think about that. Yeah, exactly. I guess what what should we be looking for? What what would you be looking for? And I guess by proxy, the coaches uh, to let them know that Angeli might might be the guy for next year. Obviously, he he needs to play a decent amount this year, which I think we have some opportunities, um, especially probably against Stanford since they're kind of gutted. Um, but yeah, what are we kind of looking for there? Obviously, when when Buckner had his chances with Cone, he was kind of running his own offense, mm-hmm. so we really didn't know what we had there. Uh, aside from his <laughs> pick six to touchdown ratio. So I guess what, what are we kind of looking for there as the season progresses and he and he kind of has some opportunities to play to where they wouldn't maybe need to get a, a transfer or maybe they would? I think that, you know, the first thing I would want to see is just like, all right, can you run the operation? Did he or not last week? I don't know. It was such a small sample size. It was, it was tough to say. You know, can he go through progressions one to two? I don't think that Nurem's going to ask them to go from one to two to three to four. So I think those two things, like I think that we know the arm is pretty good. I think he's more mobile than I would have thought he was coming out of high school. Um, we, saw, we saw a touch of that in the spring game. I think in some ways, like what he does against Tennessee State, this might sound kind of ridiculous, but like I think the spring game may have been a harder challenge for him than you know what tomorrow will be just based on the quality of opponent, um, the quality of defense that you're going against. Like, I think it would be awesome if Notre Dame got up 28 nothing in the first, quor- first quarter or 21 nothing in the first quarter, and Angeli got a series maybe in the second quarter with the starters just to give Hartman a break and give Angeli, like, all right, these are real game reps. You know, you don't feel like you're running up to score. It's early enough that, you know, there's not Jeopardy with a capital J in the game, but – you know, you feel like the game's still going on. I don't think the coaches would do that. I think it would be kind of an out-of-the-box solution to how do we get Steve Angeli more work that means something. But I think just running the operation, can he look off a defensive back and go to a second read? I think that he will probably chuck the ball deep at least a couple of times. Um, I guess I, I feel like we're probably after tomorrow – not necessarily know like, okay, can Steve Angeli be the guy? But you want to check off like the super basic boxes of like, all right, you ran the operation, uh, no false starts, didn't panic out there, can call a play, can take the signals from the sideline, like that kind of stuff. I think you're probably still like in the basics mode with him. I don't think there's anything that he could do tomorrow where at the end of it, you're going to be like, yes, you don't need to get the next Sam Hartman. This is our guy. I think my expectations for like what he could show are sort of a, a little bit on the lower side there. All right. Robert B from the chat says you and Tuna talked a little bit about this on the independent. Great to have you guys back. What's the vibe on campus for this game? Uh, first home game against an HBCU coming back from Dublin with the win. You know, that's a good question. I don't really know. I haven't been hanging around campus today or last night. I will be over there tonight for the men's soccer game and to meet up with some people afterwards. But um, I 
feel like based on the ticketing situation, like the vibe is pretty good. There was a time, I think last year, where the Marshall game, it, they really had to like, come on, guys, let's sell this out, get the tickets where they need to go. I don't get the sense that that's the case for Tennessee State. I mean, I know there's certainly a section of the fan base that isn't in love with this game, and I get it. I've never been one where I felt like the FCS streak was like a real point of pride. It was kind of something that just had happened over time. I think the HBCU element is is fine. I think it's it's good for Notre Dame to sort of raise awareness for HBCUs because, I mean, I don't know how many players on this team are like know that much about them at all. It's certainly not something that I think the the average college football fan is all that cognizant of. So I, I think the vibe will be fine. But I mean, let's let's be honest. Like, if Notre Dame had beaten Navy twenty eight twenty seven, I think the vibe would be totally different, regardless of who they were playing this weekend. I think that sort of the the Sam Hartman buzz and the feeling like this season has more upside to it probably is, would have helped against North Dakota State or Tennessee State or if you were playing Eastern Washington. I think people would be fired up for this game, independent of who the opponent was. But I'll, I'll be interested to sort of see. There's a little bit of electricity tonight when I'm over there for men's soccer and just sort of hanging out, grabbing a couple drinks around the stadium uh, campus. Colin V says, is part of the QB recruiting problem genuinely that the top few QBs really aren't here to play school? Is there a point we just have to accept that the ceiling is high four stars? You know, it's, it's a good question. I'm not sure if you accept it, but I think you have to acknowledge that getting five stars is very, very difficult. I don't know if Notre Dame can afford to just sort of like pull up stakes on Justin Scott's and Keon Keeley's and Peyton Bowen's of the world. Um, I think you got to sort of start bang, keep banging your head against that wall um, to see if you can break through. But, you know, five-star quarterbacks, you know, it's like how many five-star quarterbacks are there? Like three or four per year. You feel like Lincoln Riley's going to get one and Ryan Day is going to get one because those are like the great NFL developers of quarterbacks. Then that leaves maybe two or three for everybody else. Um, you know, Notre Dame can get one from time to time. I think that, but I think that getting a CJ Carr, who's a top 100 player, you know, and even Tyler Buckner was a top 100 player for a while. I think you just got to stack those up. I think one of my criticisms of Notre Dame quarterback recruiting in sort of the Brian Kelly era is it felt like they went every other year with that. I just don't think that works anymore. I think you got to go Kenny Minchie and then go straight to CJ Carr, and then we'll see where they go in 2025. But like, it's got to be a top guy every year. Otherwise, um, you know, you get into a situation where you have these gaps and it's like, you know, God bless Ian Book and his 30 career wins, but you would like to have like a little bit more of a physical specimen back there who's either taller, stronger, better arm, more mobile, all of that stuff. And I think when you skip quarterbacks every year, I realize the portal can sort of help smooth out that deficiency. But I think that just leaves you in a, a disadvantage, disadvantageous position there when you do that. Kevin K wants to know, is there a football staff member whose responsibility it is to watch the transfer portal now along with other methods where they keep track of potential fits for Notre Dame next year? For example, looking at the seniors now to see who could be fits to replace Hartman as a grad transfer. That's a good question. It used to be Bill Reese, who obviously is Tommy Reese's father. You know, Brian Poling would do some of that. Uh, as well when he was recruiting coordinator. You know, at this point, you know, they do have a new director of scouting named Matt Jansen, who I've not sat down and talked with. He came over from West Virginia. You know, Butler Benton is a sort of a general manager role without that title, came up from Arkansas. 
Uh, but my hunch is that will it will be Jansen is sort of like a, a scouting because I'm not sure if you're looking for personality fits yet as much as like find the athletes and then sort of work backward from that. I think Notre Dame will do well and continue to do well in the transfer portal because like you're recruiting adults, you're recruiting men opposed to kids out of high school who look for something completely different. These high school recruiting trips are much more about, you know, the show and the scene and these grad transfer recruiting trips are much more about, Hey, how do you get me to the NFL? I want to showcase myself the best I possibly can for the next level. So Matt Jansen is somebody that I'd like to write about down the road. Hopefully I'll be able to, but um, for now, I think he's probably the guy opposed to like, Putting that on on Dre Brown, Dre Brown or Chad Bowden, who are in the in the recruiting operation, I think it's much more of a, a scouting question than it is a recruiting question. Nick A, you mentioned panic from QB last year a couple of times. Do you think Coach Freeman has a different approach? It would maybe get personally involved if Hartman were to get rattled at say Ohio State, Clemson, or Southern Cal. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I because it's like. What does Marcus Freeman know about playing quarterback that Sam Hartman doesn't? I have a difficult time picking out whatever that may be. You know, it's kind of one of those things where there were times when Brian Pullian was a special teams coach and Justin Yoon was the kicker and he was like all time this, that, and the other. Where like, I didn't really know what Brian Pullian was telling Justin Yoon about kicking because he had kicked hundreds, if not thousands of field goals. Sam Hartman has thrown for more than 13,000 yards and 114 touchdowns. Some of them against Clemson. So I, I don't know if there's something that Freeman is going to say or could say to Hartman that would calm him down. I think if Sam Hartman gets rattled in those games, like it would say a lot more about like Notre Dame is completely failing to protect him than it would about sort of Sam Hartman's mental makeup. Whereas, look, last year, I think we saw it in the Navy game, the second half with Drew Pine, it was like he sort of crouched down and like he was intimidated by the scene. And the scenario, I just don't think Hartman, that's going to happen to him, you know, in these big games or any games, particularly Clemson where he's played, you know, Ohio State and USC are a little bit different, but both of those games are at home. I think he should be just fine with that. And the next question, which might be the last one, unless anyone has got anything else, you can remind you can jump in the queue or enter it in the chat. And that's from Jim M. And he wants to know, did you see anything from NC State last night that surprised you? as you anticipate for next week's matchup. I didn't. I didn't think that Brendan Armstrong was going to be sort of like a fully formed grad transfer, new offense, new scene, new receivers, new everything quarterback last night, and he wasn't. Not that he was bad. I think that he will probably get back to the Brendan Armstrong that was at Virginia beforehand, who threw for, I want to say, close to 4,000 yards. But I'm not sure I took anything away from the game last night where – you would come away thinking like, all right, this is, he's immediately back to where he was uh, in 2020. I mean, it's like, if you remember when Notre Dame played down in Virginia in 2021, yeah, 2021, Brendan Armstrong had a rib injury and there was a lot of like, will he, will he play? Won't he play? If Notre Dame is facing a healthy Brendan Armstrong in that game, that may be a completely different story. I mean, last night he was 17 of 26 for 155 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, did carry it 19 times for 96 yards and two touchdowns. So that's that's something that will be a challenge for Notre Dame to contain. Like, And that's, that's a little bit more the Brendan Armstrong that can be dynamic and hurt you. But I think another way to look at it, which I think is fair, is that if you have to – 
have your quarterback carry it 19 times against UConn, that might not say a lot about either your other running backs or your wide receivers. So I think that's sort of where I would say like the NC State situation is in development at this point. All right, another one from Q, Austin H. Calling you to the stage now, Austin H., go ahead with your question. All right. Thanks, Pete. Really appreciate you hosting us. My question, and apologies, you may have gotten to it earlier, uh, but just seeing Stanford and uh, Cal, SMU going to the ACC, at this point, it's just kind of comical. Two schools that can see the Pacific Ocean are now in the ACC. Where do you think this is all going to go? You know, I've seen rumblings that people are saying the Notre Dame model might actually be the way for all schools where football is independent of the rest of sports conference affiliation. Do you think that that's a realistic vision or do you think, you know, Sanford's going to be in the ACC till 2036 playing Boston college on a Thursday night? It's a good question. I think that where things are going in college athletics, like the independent model makes a lot more sense or I think what makes the most sense, it, it might be too complicated for the people running in college athletics to get their head around is to have football-only conferences and then rational conferences and everything else. The fact that we could get to a, a point down the road where North Carolina and Duke aren't in the same conference. We already got to a point where Texas and Texas A&M weren't in the same conference until they will be again next year, that Washington and Washington State aren't are in the same conference, Oregon, Oregon State, etc. It makes no sense to me to have football condemn Olympic sports to travel cross country multiple times a year for the sake of TV rights. I don't think that the conference affiliation of a football program needs to dictate men's basketball or volleyball or field hockey. Um, I mean, we see it with Notre Dame, like there is no ACC in hockey. So they play in the big 10. Everything is fine. When Notre Dame wins the big 10 in hockey, it feels good. It doesn't feel like dirty or like, Oh, I wish we were independent or I wish we were in hockey East. You know, when Notre Dame won the ACC in basketball, I don't think that felt like a trophy, men's basketball. I don't think that felt like a trophy that Notre Dame didn't want because they were independent in football in any way. So I think getting to a point where maybe there's a, a conference of football programs that want to make all the money and they associate in football only, but then we get to san- get back to sanity in the other other sports where the Big 12 is the Southwest and the Pac-12, you know, RIP is the West Coast. And like just basically how things were 15 years ago, you know, before Rutgers, I guess it's more than that now. So before Rutgers, uh, before Maryland made their moves, um, that to me makes the most sense to just say like, all right, we get it. Football makes all the money. They drive all the decisions, but let's not just drag along all these other sports behind us. Like, as if they don't matter at all. So, and it's like, those are the rivalries that have been built up over a hundred years that matter. Like I don't, who wants to see Duke North Carolina basketball go away because Duke and North Carolina aren't in the same football conference. Like that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So it's a mess. Um, I think the ACC probably signed its own death warrant with these moves. And I mean that in the sense of like, if Clemson and Florida state did not want this, they will leave when they can, when it becomes cost appropriate to do so. That may, it may take a few more years on the grant of rights, but I think you basically got to a point with Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State, your three biggest brands that were against this move and you pushed forward through it. Like 
those teams will leave when the opportunity presents itself down the road. So I think that's pretty short-sighted. I understand their position of like, you know, you don't want Cal and Stanford just sort of left to die in the vine, but like college athletics is survival of the fittest at this point. I'm not saying it needs to make sense or you need to like it, but um, I feel like the ACC ultimately will kind of regret this move this day down the road. All right. Shay M wants to know, is it important to play all five running backs in a game or should they give Jadarian Price more snaps to help his development? I don't think it's important to play all five, but the fact that they've said that they would, so they, they've got to have a little bit of a, you got to back up what you've said in press conferences. You know, it's like, I know that Dylan McCall has talked about a five-headed monster. I mean, really, I feel like Notre Dame has one monster. It's Audric SMA and then four of the running backs. I do think Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price are the by far the next best two. Um, they're also the least experienced, so it may take a while for that all to show itself. But, you know, I think Jadarian Price is, I don't know if he needs snaps to help his development. I think he just needs more time coming back from the Achilles injury. You know, he said this week when we talked to him, he's he's not all the way there yet. That's fine, you know, but eventually he will get there. I think that's how you get the snaps in. Like, in some ways, I almost would like to see Jeremiah Love get a few more on Saturday because I think that he's like sort of a 50-yard touchdown run waiting to happen. So that's sort of how I see that. Brian J., thanks for the coverage. He wants to know best food at Notre Dame Stadium. I'm like the worst person to ask for that because I'm 99% in the press box where I think they give us food that they don't give anybody else. It's mostly sort of like hot dogs and chili type of stuff. But I'd be curious to see like what you guys think is the best food in Notre Dame Stadium. That might be a mailbag question for down the road. I'm not really sure. Craig R., how concerned are you if Rubio doesn't play significant snaps the rest of September? Very concerned if he doesn't play against Ohio State. I will take Marcus Freeman at his word on uh, Monday when he said it's just going to be a couple of weeks and oddly, I actually saw Rubio walking around campus as I left that press conference on Monday. No limp, no brace, no crutches, nothing. Freeman actually stopped on his golf cart and said, hey, I'll give you a look to the Goog, and Rubio hopped up. You know, could they get through NC State without Gabriel Rubio? Yeah, but you really want to have your best shot against Ohio State, and I think Rubio is part of that best shot. I, I, he is much more than just like a depth guy. I think he's got a chance to be a very, very good um, interior defensive lineman for Notre Dame. All right, I think we're going to wrap up with Richard H. Richard H., calling you to the stage right now. You get the you get the final word here on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Hey, thanks, Pete. Just uh, had a quick question for you. Just looking to you, for you to compare this team and the start that we're having this season to what you saw in 2005 when Charlie Weiss's first year, when they lit it up against Pittsburgh, and then even 2012, the last time we played Navy in Dublin. How do you see this team being maybe similar to those in the past, and are you more excited this year than when you were back then? It's an interesting question because it's like, I feel like 2005 was, even though that team finished 9-3, and three, it felt like the, the product was better than that. You know, this is the Bush-Push game. I think people forget like the loss to, to Michigan State in week three. You know, that had, but like, I think it was, you know, the, the Pittsburgh game where Notre Dame had been starved for good quarterback play forever. And then suddenly you had it, this Brady Quinn, who looked like he was four years older, going into sophomore new junior year. Uh, you win at Michigan. Um, you know, the win at Purdue was nice. Obviously, the the Bush-Push game. And then they get on a nice run to close the season before losing to Ohio State. You know, and then 2012. I feel like this team a lot more like 2005 than it is 2012, where, you know, 2005 was such a quarterback-driven team. 2012 was like held together with duct tape at the quarterback position. So 
if there was a comparison to make, I'd probably go 05, even though 2012 had the better record. But yeah, I would say that, I mean, when's the last time you were excited about Notre Dame's quarterback play? It's been a minute, right? You know, Clawson maybe at the end, but certainly I think Quinn after that first game in Pittsburgh is probably the last time Notre Dame fans came away from a season opener and thought, whoa, all right, quarterback play. This is this is going to be a real asset for the program. Even when you've had more experience, like, I mean, I remember Ian Book senior and, you know, are the deep shot's going to be better. Is he going to have shown that he can take the step forward and they beat Duke 27-13? You know, Jack Cohn comes in, throws four touchdowns at Florida State. But I, even that game, I'm not sure that Notre Dame fans came in out thinking like, all right, the quarterback play is going to be elite or, or at a different kind of level. And like, you know, Malik Zaire, 2015, you know, he has a season-ending ankle injury, ankle injury just a week later. I think he threw, what, five touchdowns and incompletions against Texas in that 38th game. So even that one, you know, my memory may be failing now, but I felt like it was a lot of, like, deep shots and not a lot of, like, sophisticated stuff, the kind of things that Brady Quinn did, the kind of things that Sam Hartman did last weekend. So I'll go with, like, 2005 is, like, maybe the best comparison. And if you like this team as much as you like the 2005 team and you're a Notre Dame fan, then you're in for a really nice year. I do think that Notre Dame has a chance to have a – a unique season now that um, you win the nine games you're supposed to win. You get one of the other three at a minimum. It should be a very entertaining product. So that's I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like tomorrow, week two or week one, uh, game two against Tennessee State. But yeah, the NC State game a, a week from now is going to be very, very telling. And we will do another one of these next Friday. Uh, we're shooting for noon again. I should land in Raleigh mid-morning, so plenty of time to get to my hotel and, and get set up to hang out with you guys. But I appreciate everyone being here on the Shamrock Live here into week one um, for Tennessee State. Should be interesting tomorrow. I hope everyone enjoys the game. Thanks for reading The athletics, subscribing, listening to the Shamrock Live, all of that. Appreciate it, and I will talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.